0: Welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed and I'm here today with Jack Webster. Jack is the message bus manager for the Message Trust. Um, And yeah, he's here today to kind of tell us a little bit about his role. And um, I guess talk a little bit about how uh, COVID-19 has affected that and some of the transitions that, that are going to be going on within his job there. So welcome to the podcast, Jack. Hey, thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you for being on. Um, Jack's been on a list of people that we would like to talk to and interview for a little while, so I'm pretty excited to to have him here today. Um, so Jack, could you start us off by kind of telling us a little bit about who you are and about, um, I guess, your job and how you ended up in that role?
1: Yeah, so uh, I guess super informal straight away. Um, I'm 31 years old. Um, I live in Rotherham with my wife, Hayley. Uh, we've been married for five years now and we have a daughter lily who is two and a half now so it's really um magical (laughs) it's a really magical age this one it's a really uh, wonderful time of learning and growing for everybody in the household um it's particularly been interesting because of covid 19 so i've been on furlough for the last five and a half months or so i've just started back at work in a work from home capacity and uh, my wife hayley really hasn't been off work at all so the rules have really flipped and I became full-time daddies. Uh, I went on full-time daddy duty for this five and a half months. So yeah, that's been a real challenge that one. But um, yeah, so that's kind of my home life. Um, church life, we worship at the Doncaster Corps uh, of the Salvation Army. Uh, my wife currently works there as an administrator and I previously worked there as a youth worker as well before I did the job that I do now. So there's a real heart for that church and its community that we both have as well. Uh, But now, as you've already said, I'm the message bus manager for the Message Trust. Uh, If you've not heard of the Message Trust, it's uh, an international movement of people that are just passionate about sharing the love of Jesus with uh, the most hard to reach young people. We get into kind of the 10% um, highest deprived communities throughout the UK and we just want to give them hope by sharing the gospel with them, give them the opportunity to hear it, to respond to it and to get hooked into um, their church for long-term, ongoing, sustainable discipleship. So really, that's what we've got a heart for. Uh, My role as message bus manager, um, you've got to use your imagination a little bit. Some people will already be very familiar with the concept, but it's a play bus. So what we've done is we've taken a double-decker bus. um, We have completely stripped it out of all of its seats. We've installed games consoles, TVs, uh, my particular sli- no, my particular bus, sorry, has a slide that goes from the top floor down to the bottom floor. Uh, it's got a rock climbing wall within it, uh, a DJ zone, a uh, chill out area. So yeah, it's just really, really cool things, and it's just designed to draw young people in, to gauge their interest, to um, spark their curiosity, and want them to come on board. We give them the opportunity to play, um, and then maybe about half an hour before the end of a session. We'll share with them an aspect of the gospel, give them the opportunity to respond. Um, But it's always, always going to be in partnership with a local church. There has to be something that is in place because anyone that does respond, we want them to have the opportunity to um, be hooked into that long term sustainable discipleship that I talked about. So, yeah, that's who we are as the message. And that's what I do within the organisation.
0: Oh, thanks. That I've been on the on your bus um, a couple of times, and it is absolutely incredible. I know that even you know in my mid twenties now, I would easily spend hours and hours playing on there. Um, so I'm sure it must be a real hit with the youth that you interact with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's some like really cool stories that come out of it. Like I just kind of gave you the um, the summary of what it is and what it does. But to give you an idea, there's one that always stands out in my mind. I went to a church up in um, York and it was just like it felt like a bit of a nightmare just trying to get it all arranged and trying to pull this session together because we kind of set a date and then they got in touch with me just a few days before to say we're really really sorry can we possibly change the evening this week that we do it um and i had to go to my wife and say you know that date night we had planned for this week oh. I, i'm really really sorry can i go out in the bus cuz this church needs this different date And it all just got very frustrating. But driving up there to York, you can imagine this bus is limited to 50 miles an hour. So I had a long drive up to York from Rotherham. And uh, I was just there praying. I was like, God, you really just need to do something with this session for me because it has felt so frustrating. I need to know that you're going to work through this session. And uh, I got there and it was a a group of unchurched young people or predominantly unchurched young people. Um, They had been part of this youth group for many years. They'd heard aspects of the gospel several times. But turning up with this bus kind of was just the most amazing thing for them. It had that immediate wow factor for them. They saw it. They heard the gospel. And what was really, really cool is I shared my testimony. And um, I think of the group of 30 or so young people, about 13 of them responded, put their hands up and said they wanted to know more about this guy, Jesus, that had been telling them about and what was really cool is after that, the youth worker who was based there came to me and he said, that's just incredible. The ones that put their hands up, most of them aren't my church youth. That's the unchurched ones that have done that. Wow. And he said, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I just want to give you a hug. Now, people who know me, I look cuddly, but I'm not a <laughs> hugger. And we shared this really awkward embrace as two men. But just the excitement on his face that he had these young people that were curious about this guy, Jesus. Uh, and that's the power of the bus. It's just this amazing thing gives me the opportunity to share my gospel, uh, my testimony and the gospel with people can just yield amazing responses.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. We, in, our, in our last episode, um, episode, we spoke with Emily Trotter um, about her experience working with young people. And we talked about the openness that young people have to hearing the message of Jesus. And I wonder what, from your experience, like, do have you seen a real openness amongst um i guess young people now um to to engage with the gospel because i guess for a lot of people they've got this um idea that young people aren't interested in jesus aren't interested in faith or religion and um that that in that youth work is really really hard to reach those kids but even just from that story we're hearing another side that actually there are new ways that we can interact with these kids and they are actually interested in having faith conversations
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's one story that comes out of um, a youth group based at a church where it's a Christian youth worker and they're used to hearing the gospel. So in that sense, I'm almost not surprised that there's an openness to listen to me. But when we're talking about going into the hard to reach areas of high deprivation, where you're talking about second, third or even more generations of unemployed, um, where crime rates are through the roof, where there's a real sense of loss uh, and being lost within those areas, you kind of go into them and you it, it's easy to almost form an initial opinion about these young people based on what you see and the way that they act but it's kind of the environment that they're brought up in and you just automatically would assume that they might not be open to hearing this gospel but I think what's really incredible about this bus is it almost gives me an authority that I wouldn't have if I just walked onto the street um, Just I'm this guy that's brought this amazing bus and the fact that I've given them the opportunity to play on it for an hour and a half and I just say, can I just have five minutes of your time? I just want to share something with you. Um, You can see around the bus that, yeah, a lot of them are disengaged, a lot of them aren't really listening, but there's a couple that just seem, the ones and twos are what I'm interested in, the ones that are listening, the ones that are curious. Uh, Even if they don't put their hands up at the end to say, yeah, I want to know more about this, I just want to know that they're hearing this message, if nothing else um and rarely do i ever get any pushback any uh even sniggers or laughing i just that really doesn't tend to happen much if they're not interested they just switch off um which i much prefer to actually the challenges that i would get in that sense but yeah just being able to share with these kids who i've never met before i know nothing about their backgrounds um i know nothing about the way they're going to respond to it but um Yeah, whether they do respond at all or not, just for them to hear this message, I just think it's really cool. They do listen.
0: Absolutely. Wow. And another thing that struck me about what you've said about the Message Trust is the way that you you talk about linking up with churches to encourage kind of not just that initial stage, but to encourage a, a journey of discipleship beyond there. And that will be supported by their local context and their church. And I remember we, we did an in, an interview with Mark Hodgkinson um, a few months ago on the podcast, and he talked about um, the the difficulty of he runs this youth group and they, they do this really great discipleship. But when the teenagers kind of turn 18 and they start moving on, it's really hard to get them into, a, I guess, a traditional church environment. Um, and that and his challenge there was for the church to come and meet them halfway to step out and to w- um, come towards those people that are in that those areas of deprivation and perhaps um, look at different ways of being church. But I wonder how kind of do you encourage churches then to pick up where where you leave these kids or you kind of start this journey with these kids? And then, yeah, how, how do you or how should churches rise to that challenge? And um Mincing my words here, and start encouraging people on that that uh, journey of discipleship.
1: No, that's a really, really good, great question, and it is the non-negotiable from our perspective. Really, we won't do any kind of mission, any kind of event, or any kind of outreach unless we know the local church is involved. Because you're right, the ongoing, sustainable discipleship is absolutely key. Um, I think many of us who are either have grown up in the church or have found faith later on in life have kind of had a moment almost where we've just kind of switched on to it and gone actually this is something that is real for me and I do believe it and um and same with the young people if they're responding to what I'm talking to them about whether it be the gospel or the testament they might just have a little switch that goes on in their head that says yeah this could be real to me and this is important um but if we just leave them with that thought that will soon disappear altogether and we'll just become a non-thought and we really need the church to be able to Take that on board and just to agree to a journey with them and to walk along with them through the Bible, well, through life, really. Um, so it's always part of my ongoing discussions or initial discussions with a church when we're making a booking with the bus. I always kind of want to know, right, what's already in place at your church? Um, what have you got program wise that these young people can be, get hooked into, can um, really thrive within? And if you don't have much going on, is there anything I can do to support you starting something up as well? Because I kind of need to know that that's in place um, for me to be able to support them in this first hit. And I will never really turn up to an area in the hope that a church is going to be involved. Uh, It's quite a long process before the the bus will turn up to a church. Um, It could be that they approach me and say, we'd love to have the bus come along and support us in our outreach or our youth group that are already here. Or it might be that I say, right, I've got a particular heart for this area at the minute. I'm going to start contacting churches in that area and see if this is something that we can start working towards and building on. But, yeah, it's um, it's so key. We really, really do need that. Involved. And it's, throughout the message, we do so much. We've got the bosses. Um, we've got creative mission in the form of several bands that are employed within the organisation. We do prison outreach and um, community transformation and... Um, we 've got a heart for all these things, but also enterprise as well, which is kind of off the back of our prison work. We kind of want to give uh, ex offenders the opportunity to go into some sort of work in a non for profit setting um hear the gospel throughout this work setting as well, and just kind of set them up for a fresh life once they come out because we want to really reduce that reoffending rate as well, but almost throughout any and all of these, there has to be some sort of church involvement or local church involvement because um the message is growing massively. For 25 years, it was based purely in Manchester, and then over the last five years, we've started to see satellites of the message appearing throughout the UK, but also internationally as well. And right now, I think we're up to I think it's somewhere in the region of about 150 employees that the Message Trust has now. But that's nothing compared to the number of church leaders, youth workers, church congregation that are throughout the UK. So we can do what we can do and get started, but. Really, it's going to take a team effort of everyone to start to see some change and some transformation throughout communities across the UK.
0: Yeah, and I guess your your previous role working as a youth worker in the Salvation Army will have set you up quite well to understand where these youth workers and church leaders are coming from when they contact you to have the the bus come over there as well and and actually give you some real practical insight into what it's like to be based at a church doing youth work regularly with the same kids
1: yeah absolutely and i, I must say i really do miss that aspect of youth work as well because i did five years uh yeah i think five years there and just to kind of have those five years of the same kids or for most part the same kids or the particular ones and twos that were really growing and thriving in the environment and building relationships in that and to kind of go into the role that I'm in now where it's sometimes it's one hit and I'm gone or sometimes it's six weeks where I'm there with the bus um, and then again I'm gone and I've got no chance to build up any real relationships with young people but... Uh, I'm very fortunate, first of all, that I was a youth worker at the church that I'm currently at. So I do have some opportunity to continue to engage with these young people. Um, what's really cool is one of my young people has become my successor as well, that role. So again, just really awesome stuff. So I get to talk to her about the kids and who's doing what. And that's really cool. But at the same time, I have kind of just know that God has called me to where I am now um, to in the role that I'm in to support, equip and resources to churches in this ongoing discipleship. So whilst I might not be directly involved in that ongoing discipleship just to know that I'm playing a part in it is really cool.
0: So you've kind of given us a picture of what life looked like before Covid-19, before this uh, pandemic hit and I'm just from your description of a bus with lots of tactile things to touch and play with and climb on um, I imagine that's going to look quite diff- um, different when you return to doing that sort of thing um, now. Um, so what's that journey been like, starting to think through this transition into the, the new world?
1: Yeah, so um, as I said, I've had five and a half months of furlough. Um, and then I've started back at work last week, you know, working from home capacity. Um Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just this idea of cramming 30 young people onto a bus where there's lots of things for them to torch and grab and breathe on and just fill this bus with with breath. It's it's really, really not uh, ideal and actually not something that we can ever think to do right now, Um, not in the short term anyway. So we are exploring opportunities for repurposing the bus, um, reimagining what the buses could be used for, Uh, and that's really difficult because whatever we kind of come up with at the moment we get hit by several roadblocks uh, as far as they almost require people to be on board uh, all the ideas that we're coming up with which is just not ideal but if we're not getting people on board maybe we can repurpose the bus to be used for something completely different but then we think well the bus is big it's heavy it's not very um easily manoeuvred it's bad on fuel and we kind of go why wouldn't we just hire a van if we want to go out and so we thought about could it be a mobile food bank um could it be yeah delivering food parcels to people in various different communities and stuff and we just thought well why not just get a van that would be better on fuel more easily manoeuvred quicker um, things like that so yeah we are hit, being hit with all sorts of roadblocks but we continue to Um, dream and scheme and come up with ideas and explore them Um, but certainly for the short-term future we aren't going to be able to use these buses as we wanted. Which kind of brings us to my role being repurposed instead. Um, So that's the route that we're currently going down. I'm currently in the process of exploring the idea of mission and outreach in one of our Key areas that we work. Uh, so my region is Yorkshire and Lincolnshire. So it's a massive, massive region to take on board with this book. Uh, and we've got um, something what we call an Eden team based in St Giles in Lincoln. So to give you a little idea of what an Eden team is, um, it's a group of people who uh, Eden is almost like a, a branch of the Message Trust, and we set up people who do incarnational living within the t- top 10 percent most deprived communities in the uk so we work very hard to identify these areas where the needs are and then we find a church who will support someone to be employed within that area as a disciple as a professional disciple as a professional christian living in that community uh, bringing light to that community and uh, i don't know the exact details but we part fund it for the first few years and then we almost want to hand over to the church be able to continue that with that person we've got um, multiple eden teams all across the country right now i think there's somewhere in the region of uh, 60 to 70 eden teams set up around the country we've had over 700 uh, volunteers and team members of eden teams that have lived in these communities and continue to live in these communities as well um so they are our key areas they're the areas where we want to really support and at the minute saint giles in lincoln is one that is really open to reaching out to its community uh, of all ages, not just young people. And we, we almost want to just kind of say, right, after what has been a very difficult six months, what has been a very challenging six months, uh, how can we bring a bit of light into these communities? So I want one of the things I'm doing at the minute is to spearhead an outreach mission over a weekend, sometime in October, where we can do various activities that will just bring a bit of light into that community. Uh, and that'll keep me busy for the next six weeks or so, sort of planning that and uh, doing things like that. But it will be without the buses, you can very much imagine. And that will be our future for a little while. But I, I, yeah, I suspect that we want, we really do want to get these buses back out again, either uh, repurposed or we're obviously really looking forward to the time when we can get them out for their original purpose again. Yeah.
0: And they're so purpose built, aren't they?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They they kind of <laughs> it's really difficult to repurpose something like that. Um, there's only one other bus person, uh, and this isn't message. This is someone completely external who we've been able to get in touch with who said, "Oh yeah, we're fine. We can continue as we were." And uh, I said, "Well, why is that? How do you do that?" I says, "Oh, well, ours wasn't converted. It's just a bus that we drive into a community." And then we preach from outside the bus in the on the street or in town centres. I was like, ah, OK, right, there you go. <laughs> we don't do that.
0: <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's really exciting that you're kind of in this place now of reimagining things. And I guess dreaming big dreams um, is a phrase that gets thrown around, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so um, alongside being a kind of a ma- message bus manager and... Uh, youth work and all these things you are an active member of our listener group and um, it's really good to have you here to kind of talk about some of this stuff because Jack has been one of the um, one of the people in the in the listener group asking us really really difficult questions and making us think of uh, (laughs) things that we wouldn't necessarily have thought of so thank you firstly for for doing that Jack it's been immensely helpful but um, we had a episode a few weeks ago on the topic of fear And you kind of asked us a really tricky question, and that was, I'm going to read it out word for word because I don't want to misrepresent it. Um, It was, how should we as Christians approach 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 when confronted with the biological inevitability of fear as a means of protecting ourselves from physical, mental or emotional harm? For example, if we see an injustice and we can intervene in, but doing so could result in us being physically harmed or socially judged by peers... How do we then decide what to do when faced with 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 and the fear of intervening? And 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 is that uh, we are given a spirit of... What's the phrasing again? Is, uh,
1: we are not been given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline.
0: That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So they were some really big questions for us and we had us scratching our heads a little bit thinking okay how do we approach that?
1: (laughs) It was really cool to listen to what you guys thought about that and the reason that I ask these questions that do kind of get your head scratching and are difficult is because um, I've kind of got to a point where I'm I get quite good at exploring something from the Bible and trying to come up with my own theology on it and and exploring what other people say on the internet and things like that but that was one that really got me scratching my head so I knew that it would with you guys as well um, and you started to kind of discuss almost an immediate situation that required an immediate intervention and this fight, fly or freeze response and I think that when I was actually writing that question I was thinking more about um sort of ongoing situations where you have the opportunity to think about what your response is. Do you, um, step in, do you message someone? Do you contact someone who's doing something that you see as an injustice, either to somebody else or to themselves? Um, because I find myself in that situation and it's not necessarily, it's not always about this fear of physical harm, but almost uh, the fear of the confrontation that might come from afterwards. Um, and again not necessarily physical confrontation but just this point where i've disagreed with somebody and having to justify my point um and you i think yourself discussed the social aspect of the fear of social judgment and your peers and things like that so i've often found myself more so recently in the like maybe in the last few years getting to a point where i'd much rather just step back uh, and just almost let things happen or let things take their course, knowing that um, I can't be confronted or I can't be questioned for my view on it. So it's almost like a bury my head in the sand and just, yeah, it's not my problem kind of thing, which is really difficult for me. Because I think if I go back a little further, at some point in the last maybe seven or eight years, one of my key verses became Micah 6.8, um, which says that he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And I thought that became such a key thing in my mind that I was like, I've got to act justly. I have to see justice and kind of try to make that something that is put to the forefront of situations. And I have to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. But this whole justice thing really started to play on my mind when I found myself seeing situations that I could have intervened in or I could have gotten a voice across that maybe wasn't being heard and yet chose not to. And it probably was through fear of something.
0: Yeah, I get that. It's it's almost in a way, it's a lot harder when you do have time to think and when you've got time to weigh up the pros and cons or <laughs> um, start thinking through what what's the worst case scenario here, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a real challenge, isn't it? When we start thinking actually, how do we be an agent for justice in, in the world and how do we, yeah like you say love um what was that phrase again from micah
1: justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with god
0: yeah and i love how the first two are tempered there by walking humbly because i think you can kind of i guess get a little bit too big for your boots at times not you specifically but um, (laughs) um, we can and think oh yeah we're the ones we need to go and correct everyone else who is um you know acting unjustly but that idea of walking humbly as well. I love that, that that's included in those three.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, like I say, it was just such a challenge. And that love mercy one always got me as well, because I kind of thought, well, okay, how can I act justly and almost challenge people on things if I have then got to love mercy as well? And I kind of felt like there was a bit of contradiction going on between the two. But of course there won't be. And I think I did some theological study between the on the verse specifically and found... That maybe it's the translation that isn't quite right, and um, I can't I can't remember exactly what um, would have been a better translation. Some theologians have said, but there is a, a change in wording that kind of makes them work well together.
0: Yeah, and I think the concepts of justice that we see in the Bible is often const- like misconstrued with twenty uh, first century concepts of justice, and that word can can contain so much, can't it? Because we have a very Um, sort of legal understanding of justice where things are right and things are wrong and um, we need to punish the things that are wrong and um, support things that are right and I guess perhaps that's not always the way that justice is approached as in the Bible and I often think that there's this kind of inherent um, juxtaposition between justice and grace and trying to hold those two together in and how do we treat people like you say that I guess the same thing as mercy and justice um, It it is really hard but I think you do see that lived out in the life of Jesus as well don't we and when you look at um, I was at Bible study this week and we were looking at Jesus um, kind of ki- um, cl- cleansing the temple or kicking people out of the temple the money changes and all that and there. It doesn't look very much like mercy at times, but there, there's certainly justice going on there. And um, yeah, yeah, how do you kind of hold it together? It's really hard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we can fall into the trap of having our own subjective view of justice. But it can also be um, a little bit too raw emotionally as well. So we can almost feel like we need to impose our own form of justice for something done against us almost in the form of revenge, if we're not careful. Yeah, yeah. I need to seek out justice for what has happened to me. And that's something I'm always very careful of as well. But to be honest with you, I mean, you'll know yourself and various people listening will know that um, I'm not always, it's not that I'm out of touch with my emotions, but I can very easily kind of switch off from my emotions. I'm what you might call um, a blocker or a bottler of emotions. And that's something that obviously the years I've learned to, make sure that I go and explore my emotions later on in the comfort of my um, own home or where I feel safe but certainly in the moment of high emotion uh, or a very uh, time of high anxiety or where something is really bothering me in front of me uh, actually is a coping mechanism I can switch that off so in that sense that's something that has really fallen into this Micah 6-8 where I thought right if I want to act justly I can't just impose my own view of justice or seek out justice for something that's happened to me and i think that detaching the emotion from that can be very important
0: oh thanks for that that's really i think added to that conversation and if you're listening to this and thinking what on earth are they talking about please <laughs> do do go listen to the the fear episode it's episode 14 fears phobias and fortitude and uh, yeah we kind of delve into a few different questions there including jacks and get ourselves very confused But if you'd like to kind of ask any questions to Jack, um, either on his questions there on fear or about the Message Trust, um, please do drop them in the listener group because Jack will be there and I'm sure he won't mind answering them.
1: No, not at all. I think that listener group has been really helpful for me to actually um, engage in some discussion already, but just given the opportunity to kind of think about... You guys put across the opportunity to ask you some questions. And that really helps me in my faith journey as well, because some of the things that get me scratching my head, I know that I can put you guys on the spot with that as well and uh, maybe just help me journey through it myself. So I think that listening group is really a really great community uh, that is growing and will hopefully become um, a really powerful tool for people to use.
0: Absolutely. That is the dream. That is the dream for it. So, yeah, please do go check that out. And, um, yeah, feel free to ask any of your questions there. But I uh, just want to say thank you so much, Jack, for being on the podcast. You've kind of given us lots of things to think about. And it's amazing to hear how God is working through you and through the Message Trust, um, doing kind of all these amazing things with the bus. And we're excited to see um, what what God does through you in this new world and um, what, what happens with all of this process of reimagining your role. Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much. OK, well, thank you for listening and we shall see you next time. Bye.